Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and today's podcast is with Greg Oliver Bodine, a New York City actor who will be coming to Rensselaerville to the beautiful Conkling Hall on the 8th of December to put on a one-man show of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. So welcome, Greg. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to start by hearing a little bit about you. Could you tell us how you became an actor? Sure. Uh, well, um, I, uh, I did some community theater when I was very young, but uh, I actually came to uh, professional acting uh, uh, pretty, pretty late. Uh, uh, it was a bit of a late bloomer, I guess you could say. Uh, um, Basically, after college, I, uh, I didn't do any theater in high school. You know, wasn't in the drama club. I didn't do any theater in, in college. I wanted to take a uh, an acting class my senior year in college. I went to a small uh, liberal arts school uh, in upstate New York called Hobart um, Hobart William Smith Colleges. And um, you know, as a uh, as an English lit major uh, with an, a minor in history, I um, I was really kind of uh, intrigued by uh, you know, by 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 acting, I wanted to take a class, but for some reason or another, I can't remember exactly why I wasn't able to get into an intro acting class before I graduated. And um, I, uh, nevertheless, I was determined to to kind of check it out and try at least take a class. So uh, after graduation, I uh, I moved to Boston, and uh, I. Uh, Decide, I you know got a job. I, I started working for a, a poster publisher in Southie, and uh, I didn't really like it very much. I, I, at this point, I was still, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I, I thought maybe, thought maybe about, I thought I thought about the possibility of, of maybe going on to law school or uh, getting into advertising, uh, where I could uh, and use my um, use my writing skills, but. Um, so I took after I took this class in the evening after war. It was uh, at the Boston Center for Adult Education. I remember it was an eight-week class for sixty dollars. It was a real deal. And uh, gosh, what can I say? I just fell in love with acting uh, instantly. Uh, the class lasted. It was uh, eight eight classes. I think it went for eight weeks. And uh, after I had finished that class, I decided to take another, and uh, that's where I got involved with the uh, the actors' workshop in in Boston. Um, and uh, I guess you could say, well, it must have been about another year, maybe maybe not quite a year, where I had I decided to quit my day job and pursue acting uh, full time. I was I was bitten, as you could say. <laughs> wow. Well, that was quite a courageous. Plunge, I would think, because it's such a tenuous life finding work as an actor to start with, to just to fall in love with. Do you remember what it was in that eight-week class that that caused you to have that reaction? What about acting it is that that sustains you and keeps you at it all this time? Well, you know, I I had uh, I just found that in you know in in. Thing. It was it was just a way that I could uh, um, I could it was another way where it was another 
avenue uh, by which I could I could express myself as an artist. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the product of a uh, of, uh, of my dad's uh, my dad's a retired engineer. My mom is a is a mm-hmm. retired uh, fine artist. She went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Um, she actually got her degree in art education, but uh, um, you know, very talented uh, painter. And uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I could tell stories uh, in the years since. I mean, she, both my parents, uh, although they were they were a little reluctant to uh, support me in the beginning because they were worried about you know whether or not I could make a living at it. Um, I found that they became uh, my my biggest fans and my most ardent supporters. Uh, my my dad, uh, you know, in, in the years since I uh, I started out as an actor, he is uh, he's helped me build sets. My mom has uh, curtains for me and repaired costumes and um, you know faux finishes and scenery and things like that. So uh, it took a while for them to uh, you know, to. Uh, to embrace my my commitment to being an act to being an actor, but uh, they're they're fully behind me now, and they just they just wish me all the success in the world. So, oh, that's wonderful. And so you grew up in a household where art was present, because your mom was painting. And it, tell where where was it you grew up? Somewhere on the Hudson, I think you said. I grew up in a little town on the Hudson River called Garrison. Uh, Garrison. Uh, up the river from uh, West Point, the military academy. The U.S. Military Academy, and uh, it was uh, it was a great place to to grow up. Uh, not very far from the city, but um, you know you uh, you get up in the garrison, and um, it's uh, it's changed uh, a bit since when I grew up. When I grew up there, it's uh, it used to be just kind of a sleepy uh, little one horse town, and mm-hmm. um, we moved up there in the early '70s. My parents bought some property. Eventually, we were able to afford to to build a house and uh, grew up on a dirt road uh, uh, near some farms. And uh, it was just sort of an idyllic childhood, you know. My, my, my brother and I just, you know, we had Fawnstock uh, State Park as sort of our backyard. <laughs> so we could go out and hike and camp and play. And, uh, uh, you know, growing up out there also, <laughs> this is before, uh, my parents never let us have a, an Atari. That was probably a good thing. So, uh, you know, go out and really kind of, uh, you know, use our imaginations, you know. Uh, my mom had a dinner bill uh, hooked up to the side of the house, and we'd, we'd be out there all day playing. And uh, I think probably that was, um, I think, being able to, being, being, being encouraged to use my imagination at an early age uh, has certainly uh, helped me as an actor because, uh uh, obviously, that's that's an important part of it, especially when you're doing one-person shows. You're really asking the audience to, you know, go with you on this journey and to use their imaginations as well. Yeah, I think that's so important because these days kids are raised in these kind of all everything's orchestrated, you know, the playgroups uh, and just to have free range. They call it free range childhood now, and that's a rare thing. And I bet you do have to draw on your imagination all the time. I also wonder if you could just tell us a little about your name, because it's so rare for someone to use all three names. And your name that came in on the press release and that you use on your website is Greg Oliver Bodine. Yeah, I. Uh... Well, it's actually Oliver's my middle name, so there's not yeah. that much of a story. 
Um, when I joined the uh, Screen Actors Guild, uh, uh, that was shortly after I moved to Boston, and I started uh, I started doing some. In addition to theater, I was doing some uh, commercial work and some some film work. Um, so anyway, when I joined the union, I was informed a few months later that um, I couldn't I couldn't use Gregory Bodine. <laughs> Uh, because it was already taken by someone else. So uh, they, uh, I, I called up the union. They said, well, you'll have to come up with the stage name. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't want to – I didn't want to come up with a stage name that I, 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 I couldn't relate to, so I asked them if I could use my middle name, and they seemed fine with it. So uh, Greg Oliver Bodine became my, uh, became my professional name. But it is my – Oliver is my middle name, and it's my dad's first name. Well, it's a great. It's got a great ring to it. It's as if you made up a stage name. So, um, so you had mentioned as you were talking about drawing on your imagination, especially in a one-man show. And I wanted to ask because I see that you're a member of quite a few ensembles, and I listened to a podcast. I think it was the Flux Ensemble, and you were talking as Jimbo about the, the C Concerto. The you're your whole group of actors there seemed so close and so supportive of each other and seemed as if you knew each other personally as well as, you know, for the performances. And I just wonder how that's different. And here you are doing all the different parts of what people are going to be able to see in A Christmas Carol. If you could just talk a little about the differences of ensemble acting and a one-man show. Oh, well, I, I mean, I think there are there are more opportunities in a. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, doing an ensemble piece, you know, you, you have the you have the camaraderie of, of the other actors you're working with, the director, the designers, um, and it's it's really a team effort. But you know, it's um, uh, I, I really enjoy uh, breaking what we call in the theater uh, uh, the, the fourth wall, and I do that completely in uh, in my solo adaptation of the Christmas Carol. I just it's it just enables me to really thrive off the audience's energy. Um, I know that, you know, some actors are absolutely terrified by the prospect of directly addressing the audience. But, you know, when I've got things cooking on stage and people are with me, it's just, um, you know, just really listening and hanging on my every word. That's, it's just a feeling that's hard to beat. And so um, that's what I, uh, I guess that's, that's what I really enjoy about doing, doing solo shows. I mean, I, I enjoy doing, doing both. Um, but uh, uh, I feel like I, I have that opportunity to, to break the fourth wall more often in, uh, in shows that I uh, adapt and, and perform, you know, in a solo format. Well, you've done such a range of work, just, you know, noodling around online. I mean, you come up all over the place in crime shows and soap operas and serious plays. Can you just talk a little bit about what it's like to take on such varied roles and if any of them stand out and how how well, you go about selecting what it is you're going to do? It's really, uh, I mean, uh, it's really a matter of survival if you want to try to make your living as an actor. You know, it's, it, it really, you know, it pays to be as versatile as possible. Um, I, I, I really don't know anyone personally who would turn down um, film and television work. I mean, it, 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 pays, uh, it pays very well compared to, uh, to working in the theater. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's constantly, I'm, I, I feel like I want to, uh, you know, it's about sort of 
you know, uh, expanding my skill set, you know, doing different dialects, accents, doing different characters, um, just kind of, you know, broadening my horizon, using my imagination in, in ways I, I, you know, I, I've never considered before. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, um, I think there's an excitement in, in, uh, in, in working in, in all, all branches, uh, in all those different, uh, um, uh, you know, all those different kinds of, uh, of acting, uh, you know, whether it be theater, film, TV, um, podcasts, you know, I mean, there are people who now do book narration, you know, books on tape and, right. uh, silver commercials or people who have, uh, you know, these, these serial podcasts, uh, I mean, that's, that's how they make their living. So, um, I, uh, I, I, I also just, uh, to be honest, I just, I tend to get bored only doing one thing. And so, uh, uh, I, I enjoy, I, I enjoy, you know, uh, breaking barriers, you know, personal barriers and, and setting, and setting new, new goals. Do you have one milieu you prefer over the other? I know for some, the stage is the gold standard, or do you you find something? It sounds like you find something you like in, in any of them. Well, you know, it's, I feel like a, doing a play, whether it's a, a solo play or an ensemble piece, there's a there's a continuity to it that's very satisfying. You know, there's there's a, there's you're basically you know you're you're, you're, there's an arc um, that you that you are pursuing from the beginning to the end. You know, the, a play has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And um, in most cases, it's um, you know it's fairly linear. It's fairly fairly linear. You know, um, in in film and television, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that film and television is really sort of a it's. Um, it's more of a uh, hard to describe, but it's uh, it's more of a it's more of a director's medium. I mean, you're obviously mm-hmm. a crucial part of you know what whatever's being um, whatever's being filmed. Um, but uh, a lot of a lot of times, you know, scenes are filmed out of out of sequence. Um, there are multiple takes sometimes. You know, I've, I've I've worked on some films. I've watched uh, uh, you know other actors, um, uh, famous actors, big names, uh, big big time directors, uh, and uh, you know it's not uncommon to see uh, a principal actor do twenty or thirty takes uh, of the same line in the same scene, and um, so it's just a different it's a different different process. It, it requires different um uh, areas of concentration it doesn't have the the continuity that that theater has uh that i feel is, is so satisfying you know you <laughs> it's basically i guess the best way to describe it is you know in a play you basically get to do the whole movie from start to finish every night if if that makes any sense yeah, that does make sense. You, as you say, there's an arc, and you see it from beginning to end. And you also talked about the audience hanging on you, which I assume you don't have that feeling when you're doing TV or film because the the audience isn't something you can play off of. Yeah. So 
you are a writer and a teacher as well as an actor. Um, it all revolves around the theater, but I wonder how those different jobs complement each other. Could you tell us a little about that? Like, does your teaching inform your acting and the other way around? Um, how does that work? Got into, uh, I got into teaching sort of, uh, it was sort of a happy accident. It was, it was, it was very incidental to what I was doing as an actor. Um, when I was getting uh, some training in grad school, um, I ended up going back. Uh, so I got my, I got my degree in, in English literature uh, at Hobart. About 10 years later, I went back to school to get my master's in fine arts, my MFA in, in acting. Um, I was accepted into the professional acting training program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It was a three-year conservatory program. And, uh, uh, I was able I was able to actually qualify for in-state tuition, luckily, uh, about a year into it. And uh, to supplement, um, you know, it was the type of program where you couldn't, you couldn't keep a part-time job and then go to class. It was completely immersive. I mean, you were living, breathing, theater, you know, usually 12, sometimes 14 hours a day because you'd have classes in the morning. Uh, if you were involved in a show, I know that... Uh, um, the program at UNC was attached to a professional theater called Playmakers Theater. Um, and so if you were lucky enough as a grad student to get cast in a show, you'd be working with all these wonderful uh, professional actors that'd be coming in from New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. So after, after class, after rehearsal, you know, sometimes, well, most times you'd be either, you know, running lines for a class scene in the evening or you'd be actually doing a show. So it was, you know, these could be very, very long days. There just wasn't really any room to, like, keep a part-time job. So um, I was actually awarded a, uh, a teaching assistantship, which uh, paid a little bit of a stipend, but basically it allowed me to, um, it required me to put together a syllabus and to teach drama, uh, in, introductory acting to uh, to non-majors, to undergraduates. So uh, it was sort of uh, it was you know trial by fire, but uh, I found that I I really enjoyed it. I still don't enjoy it as much as acting, and that's why I it still uh, it still comes in second. It's I've never made it. Uh, you know I, I I consider myself an actor who uh, who writes and who occasionally teaches. Uh, but not a. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself, uh, you know, a uh, an, an arts educator, uh, a drama teacher, uh, in in the full sense of the word. But in so many fields, learning from people who actually do it is so much richer than learning from someone who only teaches it. So can, I can imagine your students would really get a lot from it because you are first and foremost an actor. Can you tell us a little about the writing? What what kinds of things you've written and and why and how? Oh well, uh, uh, well. I actually just had a. Uh, I just had another thought about uh, about teaching. You know, um, teaching. I think, and I haven't done any in in a few years now. But teaching really allows me to think about my own process as an actor. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I like I said, I was sort of a late bloomer. I didn't come to acting until after after college. Um, it was really fun and interesting to see. Um, you know, the, the, the fire in, in some of these undergraduates, you know, kids who were, you know, uh, you know, were, you know, debating whether or not they should maybe change their major to theater because they enjoyed it so much. 
Um, but you know, whether whether they that wasn't really my. I mean, I wasn't when I was teaching these uh, these these classes for to non majors. Um, I, I, it, it was there. They were basically fulfilling their their art requirement. Uh, I think most colleges have an art requirement and a science requirement. But the first day of, of class, I'd say to them, "Hey, um, you know, you guys may." Some of you may decide that you really like this and you want to pursue it professionally, but even if you never take another acting class, this class will help you to become a better public speaker. You'll become more comfortable um, talking to large groups of people. Um, you know, it, it will help you in whatever field you decide to pursue. Um, and, um, uh, and, you know, with regard to my own process, it just helped me it just helped me sort of look into my own process a little bit deeper. I think some actors, I think I, I used to include myself in this category. Some actors are, uh, are superstitious <laughs> about their process and they feel that if they, they, they think about it too much, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll lose it. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll lose their ability to, to act. Uh, I did have some reservations about, you know, about, about that when I, when I started to teach, but it really, it really sort of, you know, helps to open your eyes about your own process and to understand your own process and to really, you know, improve upon it. So um, in terms of writing, um, I, uh, <laughs> I started writing plays because I, I guess you could say I wanted a little bit more control in my artistic life. Um, mm -hmm. There was a period of time where things were kind of slow and I wasn't getting cast in the kinds of plays that I wanted to be in, you know, ensemble pieces and so forth. And I decided to sort of just to kind of take the bull by the horns and create work for myself. And um, I, I, I was actually intrigued. I'd seen a professor of mine in grad school do an adaptation, a solo adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It was uh, an adaptation written by someone else. I mean, there have been dozens and dozens of solo adaptations. And I was so thrilled uh, you know, watching him on stage, you know, portraying all these, all these characters. I thought that would, that would be a really good challenge for myself. Uh, I just wanted to try it. And, um, I, you know, I've, I've always loved the story. I've always loved Dickens' story. It's, it's, a, it's a classic. It's a universal story of forgiveness and, and redemption. Um, you know, Christmas is, uh, you know, one of my favorite times of year. Uh, and uh, I. Uh, Why? Why is Christmas I, one of your favorite times of year? Well, it's, uh, I wouldn't consider myself uh, very religious, but um, it's uh, I, uh, I, I. You know, I come from a, a rather close knit family. It's an opportunity to uh, to really, you know, spend quality time with uh, with loved ones and with friends and. Uh, um, um, I, I think that's, uh, I guess that's sort of more, that's more of a, more of a, <laughs> I guess you could say I, I, I uh, uh, that, that's sort of a more, more from a humanist perspective, but, uh, um, you know, since in the years since I've been doing the show, um, you know, living in New York for a number of years now, you know, it's, uh, like any big city, you know, if you're, you're a city dweller, I think there's a tendency to, uh, 
um, you know, you get into a routine, uh, you, you, you get on the subway, you, you kind of put up your blinders, and uh, speaking these words, speaking Dickens' words, you know, um, and Jacob Marley, uh, Scrooge's, uh, the ghost of Jacob Marley, uh, Scrooge's old partner, has a, a wonderful line in the play uh, that kind of reinforces this idea of staying connected to each other. He says, uh, he says, he says, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. And, and, you know, when I, when I revisited the story, when I started learning my lines, when I was adapting it and editing it and cutting it, those words really just sort of hit me. And, um, and so I, I, now I, 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 I view Christmas, uh, I feel Christmas in uh, a much more connected way <laughs> than I did before. And, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's a time of year that uh, I think encourages, rightfully, uh, encourages us to, you know, uh, look out beyond our closed doors and and to uh, connect with each other, you know, as human beings. Uh, that's the best way that I can put it. Oh, that's wonderful. And I just feel like your whole life is about connection. You like to break that fourth wall and connect with the audience. You like to have a sense of give and take when you're on stage with the other actors that you mentioned, and it's just, it's so easy in the modern world when we're all in front of screens all day long, you know, to miss that human connection. Um, I just, I'm so glad we are ending with your play because that's, of course, what our our local listeners are going to be able to get to see. And if you could just, because um, we're kind of running out of time here, and you're going to be in Rensselaerville, as I understand it, for the whole day, and you're going to be at the library around 4 o'clock, is that right, and reading to children from another Christmas classic, um, the Clement Clark Moore, um, A Visit from St. Nicholas, is that right? was the night before Christmas. I'll be at the library uh, in Rensselaerville at, uh, at 4 p.m. reading uh, uh, in costume and in character. Uh, Twas the night before Christmas, just as a, sort of a, a fun way to get everyone excited for the, uh, 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 for the performance uh, of uh, A Christmas Carol at 7 p.m. And, uh, yeah, yeah that's, it's all going to take place on Saturday, December 8th, um, for Christmas Carol, the, uh, uh, the the reading at the library is is free to all. Obviously, uh, that starts at four, and uh, the performance of the Christmas Carol starts at seven p.m. That's Saturday, December eighth. I believe tickets are fifteen dollars for adults, ten dollars for students, and free for kids uh, ten and under. Yeah, that free for kids 10 and under is great because when you hear that story as a kid, I think it shapes your whole idea of Christmas. And one of the things you had mentioned to me before that I just thought was fascinating was your study of Dickens. I think you said you went to the Morgan Library and looked at, um, you know, when Dickens was touring both the United States and um, in England, how he had made kind of marginalia, little notes on his own works to read. Can you just tell us a little about that kind of research that you did to 
get to the place yeah. where you were. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Morgan Library is, is just, uh, they have these wonderful exhibitions. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I also, you know, it's funny because <laughs> this, uh, the, 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 the Dickens exhibition, I believe, was in, oh, that was just last year. But in 2014, they had one on Edgar Allan Poe. And this year, they have one on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that runs through January. It's the 200th anniversary of, of her novel. Um, and you do a you do a play on Poe as well, don't you? Do you I do? do, I do yeah, uh, I do. two of his stories. So, uh, uh, I, it's called Poe Times Two, yeah. and it's uh, two solo performances done back to back in an hour. It's uh, two two short stories done as separate two uh, is done as separate solo shows, and uh, they're adapted from uh, the cast of Amontillado and the Black Cat. Um, and I usually do that um, through, you know, uh, through October and, and into November, and then I uh, and then I start preparing for for Christmas Carol. But yeah, last year the Morgan Library did a, uh, a wonderful exhibition on, uh, on Dickens. I was able to I was able to go and um, see all the uh, all the personal notes that he had made in these what he called the the prompt copies of of the works that he would read, um, you know, on these uh, these public outings he did. He started touring, you know, he, uh, he wrote Christmas Carol in 1843, and um, he agreed to price it, I think, at, I think maybe at, at, at six pence, so that, you know, uh, you know, most anyone could afford it. Um, the problem is that uh, it's, uh, he, uh, he lost money. Of, yeah, he almost, um, <laughs> I, I think... <laughs> I think uh, I think the publisher uh, ended up sort of uh, pricing it too low, and uh, it, it sold out immediately. And then, of course, you know, back then there were really no copyright laws, so um, other other people started publishing it, and uh, Dickens wasn't seeing any of the royalties on that. So, uh, so in the 1850s, he started to uh, do these public reading tours uh, throughout England. He uh, Dickens had uh, himself performed for uh, Queen Victoria. He was a uh, an amateur actor, and uh, uh, he did two tours here uh, in the, he did one in 1843 as a young man, and then one towards the end of his life in 1867, uh, which is um, sort of the jumping off point for my adaptation. Um, I basically portray Dickens on, you know, his second reading tour uh, of the United States, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, went up in, uh, at Conkling Hall, you know, in Rensselaerville. I don't want to say any more than that because I, uh, that's all I'll, that's all I'll say. I don't want to give away too much of, of how the, uh, of how the performance begins, but he, uh, yeah, he would bring this, um, he would bring this little reading stand that was covered in velvet, velvet fringe, red velvet fringe. And, uh, this was actually on display at the Morgan library. And it was just amazing to see, um, you know, some of the, uh, the first printing edition, the, the the first editions of A Christmas Carol, and um, all the all the, the scribbled out notes and all the additions and, and marginalia that he made in, in these prompt copies, these touring copies uh, that he would bring with him uh, when he toured. Uh, it was it was amazing. They did an amazing job, and uh, uh, and uh, some of the original illustrations are also wonderful uh, to, to see too. If you ever get a chance to get on the uh, the website, uh, the the original, uh, you know, the original edition had these wonderful color uh, 
illustrations uh, that were uh, in there as well, and uh, really just 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 amazing, just amazing. Yeah, it sounds uh, amazing. Well, I cannot thank you enough for sharing both your expertise and your passion with us. I would love to close this out if you could, because I'm looking at this whole long list of accents that you do, and I'll just read them so people can be impressed. French, Russian, German, Southern, New England, Irish, North Country, Cockney, and British RP. And if you could just give us a closing thought, maybe that one that you were doing earlier in your full character role um, to close out our podcast. I just think that would be lovely. Sure. Um, should I uh, maybe give you give you a couple of lines from the very beginning of the play? Because that sounds great. And then people will know right when they, they'll be beckoned to head for Conkling Hall and pick it up from there. Go for it. Oh, right. Molly was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon the London Exchange for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley, dead as a doornail. How's that? Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Greg. Oliver Bodine, and um, we'll look forward to the show. Fantastic. Wonderful to speak with you.